Well, good morning. <clears throat> uh, a couple of years ago, actually a couple of years ago, within the next week or so, I think it was uh, October 5th of uh, 2014, my wife and I moved into our first home that we purchased together. Um, it, was, uh, it was a really stressful and long process. I don't know if you, how many of you have been through that uh, ordeal of trying to get into your home, especially the first time, and, and having to do all of that paperwork and all the inspections, and you think you're going to get right into it, and then something happens, and, and, and the home that we got, we, we absolutely love it, but um, it definitely wasn't our first choice. You know, we, we went through several different homes through the process before we, we landed on the one that we have grown to love, but the one that we really, really wanted and really, really loved was, was a different place that we didn't we didn't, uh, we didn't get into, which was, it turns out okay, but that place we really liked. And, and it wasn't that it was a better house. It wasn't any bigger or nicer or anything like that than what we ended up with. However, it, uh, it was in a great location. Um, in fact, it was, it was right adjacent, directly adjacent uh, to a piece of property that my wife's family owns, that her family uh, on, on her dad's side has about 65 acres uh, in Brownsville, just on, on the hill overlooking Brownsville. That's just amazing. And this piece of property was kind of on the back side, which was nice because then the in-laws were on the... Uh, wait, okay, I won't go there. Um, <laughs> for her sake, not mine. I, I love them, right? No. Um, and it was, it was great, and, and, and it would have given us access to all of that property. And it, it just didn't work out that way. Uh, but its, it's value was uh, so great to us because of where it was, right, and because of what it would have allowed us to do because of its location. Now, um, if you've uh, ever heard, I'm sure you've heard this statement, but the, the first rule of real estate is location, 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 right? So where we, where we build our house, or in our case, where we buy our house, it, it's important. Now, you know, in a literal sense, the location of our homes is, is important to its value, not just our, uh, maybe the real estate value, but the value to ourselves, right, to the, our personal value that we hold within it. That home is value, has, is important to us, excuse me, because it provides a sense of safety and security for us. It's important to us for our convenience, that it's in a location we can get to our, our family, our friends, our jobs, our church, etc., in, in an easy manner. Uh, it's, its location is important to us for just our general life stability as we settle and develop roots into a community or we grow a family in a place that we, we love. You know, using this example of our house's location, our home's location, uh, metaphorically, the, the location that we uh, develop and grow our roots spiritually is vitally important to our maturity in Christ. When we build strong roots into Christ, we understand better our personal value in Him. Right? We gain a sense of, of safety and security in our eternal destination, and our life is given stability through any circumstance that we find ourselves within. Over the last couple of weeks and continuing on through the next month, we're going to look at this idea of being rooted someplace, and specifically in Christ. And this comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. This is kind of our passage for the month. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. In other words, located firmly within him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. 
You know, this, this passage of Scripture, actually the passage of Scripture that we're going to be focusing in on today, um, uses this kind of uh, this example uh, of being firmly rooted in Jesus in just a little different way. It, it's, it's a parable that we're going to look at today, and it comes from the latter part of one of the, the longest continuous teachings that Jesus gave in, in kind of in one setting that's recorded within Scripture. It's found within a passage that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse seven, or 5 through 7. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, basically because um, it it's a, it's, it's, it's took place on the side of a mountain, right? <laughs> Not to put, attach any deep theo, uh, theological meanings to it. It actually took place on the side of a mountain. And in fact, in, in chapter 5, right at the beginning, verse 1, it says, Now when, the, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So he was up on the side of a mountain, probably overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and his followers were, were drawn to him, and he began to teach. And it's a very, very special portion of Scripture. So he had been in Galilee at that time, and he had been teaching, and he'd been performing miracles. And uh, as he done, had done so, people began to pursue him. They began to follow him around wherever he went to try to see something, to see him do something amazing, to see him uh, perform a miracle, right? To, to do a trick or whatever it was that they considered what he was doing, to listen even to what he would say. And so people had come from all over to hear him. And there overlooking the Sea of Galilee that day, he gave this sermon literally, again, on the mountainside. This passage, the Sermon on the Mount, contains some very famous teachings of Christ. Things like the Beatitudes, which include Jesus' thoughts on, on murder, on uh, divorce, on giving oaths, on adultery, on loving our enemies and giving to the poor, on prayer, worrying, and, and judging others, and, and many more things. It contains kind of the lifeblood of what being a disciple of Christ or a Christ follower is all about. And I'd encourage you this week to read Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, this morning, we're going to examine just three verses from that passage of Scripture, this parable. Um, it uses an illustration very similar to this picture of a tree developing deep roots, strong roots. It, it gives an example using the illustration of a house built on a foundation. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 through 27. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Sure, we're familiar with the little song, right? We've all remember that little D from Sunday school. But this parable is more than just a little silly Sunday school song. It gives us some very important kind of uh, instructions or examples of how we need to develop strong roots or build a strong foundation. Within the parable, there's kind of this, uh, this, this idea, there's some implied things that are taking place in this story, and then there's some literal things, and, and there's some comparisons and contrasts. And so I want to kind of highlight some of those this morning as we look at this passage. There's, there's two builders, right, and there's some similarities in what they do, there's some differences. Uh, some of the similarities between these, uh, these two examples are that both builders 
have found a need for a dwelling, right? A place to reside. They need a home. They need some place to settle down. And so uh, because of that desire within them to have a place of safety and security, they construct their homes. Uh, we have another similarity. Both builders actually finish their homes, right? It's implied again, but they, they finish their homes and they, they have uh, moved into them. They live within them. And then once they're moved in, they've, they've built the homes, they've moved in, then they both encounter the same uh, trials and struggles in life, right? It says that the rains come down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, right? So they're, they're put to the same test, both of these builders. Now, some of the differences are the, the time in which it would have taken to build these houses. Think about that for a moment. Now, if you uh, choose to do the quick way, it's just find a piece of land. Uh, it's a, there's a nice flat area of sand. You build your house upon it. This is easy, right? It would have been quick to build that house, whereas the other builder, the wise builder, took the time to find a home where he could build it upon a foundation of rock, <coughs> which probably took him a little bit of effort, right? A little bit of energy to be expended into flattening and building and, and doing it properly so things would have taken a little longer to develop a solid foundation at times that's laborious but he was willing to put in the means any means necessary to make sure his house was was solid you know the easier way may be quicker often but it doesn't mean it's better i think we can definitely le learn a principle from that but some of the other differences uh, the foundation, obviously, not just the time it took, but the actual foundation that they, build, uh, they built their houses upon was different in this story. And obviously, the big one is the outcome is different, right? Where both of them were put to the same test, the wise builder, uh, his house withstood those trials, whereas the foolish builder, his house blew down. You know, see, this, this story represents not just the, the ability to build a strong house, Right? That, that's just the example that Jesus is using to apply to us as Christ followers or those of us who hear Christ's words. Right? Both of these uh, builders represent people who heard the message of Christ. Right? That's important for us to understand. These are both men or women or people who heard Jesus' message of love and, and, and repentance to, the, of, uh, and to, to be drawn back to the Father. Right? Uh, both of them represent people who've heard this message of Christ. They listen to his words, uh, they've listened to what he's taught, and, and things like what he just had gone through in chapters 5, 6, and the first part of chapter 7 in Matthew 5, they heard these principles from Scripture. Right? Jesus had attracted their attention enough that they listened to what he had to say. But the key difference is what they did with what they heard. Right? What they did with what they heard. James, the brother of Jesus, actually, he's the author of the book of James within the New Testament. He picks up on this idea in chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, verse 22. He says, but prove yourself doers of God's word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Right? The difference in this story, this parable, was that one man heard and followed and did. Another heard and went his own way. Uh, James here is telling us to be doers of the word, hear it. And do, don't just delude yourself. So my question for you this morning is, as you hear the word of God, are you proving yourself a doer or a deluder? 
Right? Do not merely, be, or excuse me, prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So are you a doer or a deluder? When you think about the parable that we just read, from the outside, pre-storm, things look pretty similar between these two, two men, right? Between the two houses. It wasn't until the rain fell and that the waters rose and the winds blew that the differences were actually revealed. From the outside, we can look fairly holy and righteous and that we have things together. We can attend church regularly, we can sit in our pew, we can sing along during worship and read along during the message and, and have our Bibles with us and then we can walk out the door, <coughs> we can get in our cars and, and we drive home and nobody knows the difference, right? We look the same. The houses look the same in this parable, right? They, they were doing their job all right when things were going normal. It wasn't until the struggles came we start to see the difference. So how consistent is what you do with Jesus? What, what, or what do you do with Jesus when no one is looking at you across this room? How consistent is what we do in private compared to what we do in the pew? To what we can do when no one can attach our name or our face to our actions? Kind of the same idea of personal integrity. Right? What do you do when no one's watching? What do you do with the words of Jesus when no one's watching? See, the difference between a doer and a deluder are things like this. A doer hears God's word and is motivated to change their lives to better align themselves with Christ's expectations. But a deluder, they hear God's word and see how others need to change their life. Good point, preacher. My wife really needs to hear what you just said. Right? Okay, if you catch yourself thinking those words, then you're tilting towards that deluder side. You understand that? When you hear God's word and find how it applies to someone else, then you run the risk of being a deluder, not a doer. A doer comes to worship with an open and humble heart, committed to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. A deluder comes with a closed and critical spirit and a prideful heart, seeing it as someone else's job to get me in a place to worship. A doer is kind and compassionate and forgives even when it's undeserved and even when it's, when it's difficult. On the other hand, a deluder holds on to grudges. They keep anger freshly kindled in their heart and they lash out from safety and shadows. A doer rejects temptation even when it seems like there may be no repercussion and no one would ever know. A deluder says, if, any, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's the big deal? A, a doer puts Jesus' words into action, giving of their own time and their talent and their treasure for the benefit of others because that's what God God's word tells us to do. A deluder, on the other hand, sees their time and their talent and their treasures as too valuable to share, to give away. Or they have an attitude that says, let someone else give, let someone else do, for I've given and I've done enough. And that goes such against what scripture teaches us. In the book of James chapter 1, we read verse 22, it continues in verse 23 and 24 and says this. It says, anyone who listens to the, to the word 
but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Immediately forgets. God's word is a mirror of our life. It's like that bathroom mirror in the morning after we wake up, right? It shows us all of our flaws, right? No shower, we're unshaven, well, men. Um, No makeup yet, ladies. Sleep is still in our eyes. Our hair is messed up. We have another gray hair somewhere in here, another wrinkle, and we don't like what we see. We don't want to think about it or deal with it in that moment, so we avoid eye contact, right? Don't look at that that face looking back, and maybe it's not as bad as it may seem. And so we splash some water on our face and and, uh, throw on our hat, guys, and we head out the door, and we just don't want to think about it, right? God's Word, like that mirror, shows us our personal flaws. It reveals our selfishness, our pride, our lack of patience, our prejudice, the grudges, and the hatred in our hearts. But we don't want to think about these things because they make us feel guilty or or they're painful, and so we brush them under the proverbial rug and we pretend they don't exist and we go on about our lives. That's what being a deluder is. But that's not our expectation as Christ's followers from Scripture. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to convict us of our shortcomings and then give us the power to do something about it. In James chapter 1, verse 25, the next verse in that passage says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. In other words, the person that is not afraid to look himself in the mirror, eye to eye, and say, I can do this. Right? I don't care what I see. I know what God has created to me, and I've created me to be, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that today. You know, again, in this verse, it says they will be blessed in what they do. Another blessing here attached to to the, the work that we do in developing deep roots into Christ Jesus. As we strive to do what he's, his word says, and as we examine ourselves by it, and look to make sure that we are doers and not deluders, we will be blessed in these endeavors. We will see results. They're going to be obvious. The word of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will change us. It will change us in seeing people through the lens of grace and mercy like our Savior Jesus sees people. It will change our response and our reaction to difficult situations that we find ourselves within, helping us to react with love and patience instead of anger and frustration. Struggle with that? When someone challenges you in some way, what's your first response? Is it anger is it understanding? Is it frustration? Or is it grace? It will change us. God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit will change us into desiring the things that the Lord desires. Do you want what God wants? Or do you just want what makes you feel good? It will change us and it will make us become doers who pursue what is good. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, 
It says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? But to do justice. We live in a world where justice is sorely lacking. Right? There are people around this country, in the United States right now, who seek justice. But they don't know how to do it in a way that honors God. They don't, need, they don't know how to do it in a way that is biblically appropriate because they don't have Christ in their lives. And so they riot and they protest and they destroy because they're missing something so, so valuable as justice. And yet we judge them and say, how dare you do those things? But if they're not following Christ, what do you expect? Do you pursue justice? What does the Lord require of you? To love kindness. And do you love kindness? Again, what is this world sorely lacking? Kindness. An understanding that comes with it. That willingness to say that that your need is more important than my need. Right? That what you need in life is the love of Jesus Christ and I will do anything for you to experience that love. That's kindness. That's not just a suggestion. That's a requirement of the word of God. What does the Lord require of you today? But to walk humbly with your God. I can tell you that it's pretty, it's pretty tough for me sometimes to walk humbly with my God. God's given me the opportunity in life to learn a lot about his word, right? He's given me a, a lot of years to study it. He's given me an education where I was able to pursue learning God's word as my education. And so when someone challenges me on something theologically or biblically, again, what is my first reaction? It's not humility, but it's, well, you're questioning me? What? Okay, let's go. <laughs> Right? No. Be humble. What does God use to show hum- humility to the proud? Not those who are loftier than them, or loftier than us, but he uses the, sometimes the broken things of this world to humble the proud. What, do you, what does the Lord require of you today? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. Be doers. Don't be deluders. It's not, it's not rocket scientist. science. I always get that one wrong, right? It's not rocket science. It's pretty easy. See, we have the foundation. We've been given God's word. And it tells us what we need to do to have that solid foundation. But the question is, what are you going to do with those words? Are you going to be the foolish man who has it readily available to you right here but keeps it wrapped up between these leather covers? Are you going to open it and see how it applies to your life and then follow through? That's my challenge for you. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that I get to open your word and pretty much every day and study it and see what it has to apply to my life and to this church family. 
But Father, even in that, it, it can become something that we just look at, I just look at as a textbook almost, as just an instruction manual. And it doesn't really penetrate more than my brain. It doesn't trickle down into my heart. And I pray that this morning that these verses that we've read, these instructions that we've been given from your word won't just take up residence in our minds so that we can repeat a portion of scripture or sing a little silly song of a parable, but we can put it to work. So for each of us here this morning, I ask the same thing. Father, make us doers. Use your spirit to convict our heart today. Please, let us not be deluders who hear it and dismiss it and go our separate ways. Use us this week, we pray. In your precious son's name, amen.